You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. The scripture reading is taken from the Common English Bible, Romans 1, verse 7. To those in Rome who are dearly loved by God and called to be God's people, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Dainty, for reading our scripture this morning. So this week, Dainty wanted to confirm with me that it was indeed only that one verse from Romans, because so often we have a longer passage in Scripture. But when Paul begins the letter to the church at Rome, he begins the first six verses telling them who he is and reminding them of the good news of the gospel. And then he addresses his letter to these people, to those in Rome who are dearly loved by God and called to be God's people. Paul is writing to a specific place, to the church in Rome, but he is giving them an identity, the same one that Christ got in his baptism, in the story that we heard last week, when God declared that Jesus was the beloved son. Here, Paul is reminding the church in Rome that they are God's beloved and they are called to be God's people. Now, Paul's words here are pretty radical because he is not just writing to the Jewish members of the church. He is, in fact, including all of the Gentiles who are in Rome. He is including them as those who are called to be God's people. Because we live almost 2,000 years after the church first began, we've lost the understanding of the struggle of identity that the early church had. For those who were Christians or followers of the way, they had to discover their identity. Did it mean that they were first Jewish and then followers of a rabbi named Christ? Or if they were never Jewish, could they just follow the rabbi or did they need to become Jewish first? We have lost this struggle over time, and so we don't understand how radical it is that Paul's letter is to all the people in Rome who follow Christ, and he calls them all beloved. Dr. Kenneth Birding explained it this way. Here's something that many people I talk about with Paul's letter to the Romans that they don't seem to grasp. The earliest house churches in Rome would have been primarily Jewish. They would have felt culturally Jewish. But in AD 49, the Roman Emperor Claudius kicked the Jews out of Rome. Jewish Christians, of course, would have been expelled along with the rest of the Jews. And during the five years between Claudius's edict and his death, when the edict lapsed and Jews started to return, the composition and self-understanding of the house churches in Rome would have shifted considerably. 
Paul's letter to the Romans would have arrived in Rome somewhere around 57 AD during this period when Jews were trickling back into Rome. If you can fix in your mind that the expulsion of Jews from Rome had a tremendous impact on the churches in that city, you will understand the message of Romans oh so much better. So Paul's letter that is addressed to those who are God's beloved and called to be God's people. It was written to include those Jewish Christians returning to Rome and also those Gentile Christians who had been worshiping on their own for the last five years. It was given to them as a way to find a new identity apart from being a Jew or a Gentile, instead to find their identity as God's beloved children who followed the way of Christ. To all of these people, as they struggled, he offered them that gift that each and every one of them is God's beloved. This is a message that continues to be needed in our world today. We have so many people who struggle to understand who they are in this world. And if they could find their identity in being God's beloved, it would help ease the anxiety and the stress on them individually. And it would help our entire world. If each and every person on earth heard this good news that they are God's beloved, then we would have a world filled with blessings instead of struggle and strife. Because when we claim our own belovedness and we become the beloved ones we are, we are then able to see the belovedness of the others around us. In Henry Nouwen's book, The Life of the Beloved, he makes a distinction between being the beloved and becoming the beloved. And I think there's no better way to explain it than actually telling you a little bit more about his life and how he lived that journey from being the beloved to becoming the beloved. Henry Nouwen was a priest and he was a leader at a seminary when he met a man named Fred, who was a journalist. But Fred didn't want to be a journalist. He wanted to be a novelist. He wanted to write a book, but he couldn't quit his job. How would he feed his family? But Henry Nouwen saw a calling in him to become a writer in a different way. And so he was able to find some funding to allow Fred to come to the seminary for a year as a visiting artist in residence. And during that year, he didn't write that book. But Fred did make friendships. Fred did discover a deeper level of living. He said he found a sense of meaning to his life. And years later, the friendship that had developed between Fred and Henry Nouwen actually did result in a book being written, but it was the book, The Life of the Beloved, written by Henry. You see, it was a response to Fred's questions about how to live a spiritual life in the midst of a very secular world. Henry had one simple message you and I are the beloved children of God. It is so simple to say those, world, those words, but in order to embrace it and live it is about letting the belovedness become enfleshed in everything that we think, we say, or we do. 
Over the next two weeks, we're going to dive more into what Henry actually wrote in his book. But today, I want you to see how he lived this in his life, about how being the beloved and becoming the beloved happened for him. He had become quite famous in academic circles, and he was a popular preacher and guest speaker. But he was also someone who struggled with depression. He knew that he was beloved by God, but even that knowledge didn't stop him from experiencing depression. He also wasn't happy in his life at Harvard as a professor and as a writer because the world of academia was so intensely competitive, and that was not how he wanted to live. And so he left Harvard and he went to a very small town in France. He was seeking a place that would lead him closer to the heart of God. And so he went to a community called L'Arche. It means the Ark in French. And when he arrived there, he felt like he had finally come home. This place is part of an international federation of communities where mentally handicapped men and women and their assistants live together in the spirit of the Beatitudes of Jesus. It's a place where they live as one family. In 1986, he had been there for one year in France, and he had an opportunity to move to another large community near Toronto, Canada, and he served as the pastor there at daybreak in Toronto for 10 years. While at daybreak, he was assigned to care for a man named Adam. He couldn't speak. He was nearly blind. He was unable to feed himself, dress himself, or bathe himself. And becoming Adam's assistant proved to be one of the hardest things that Henry Nouwen did in his life. He was so used to overflowing classrooms, to stacks of fan mail from admirers of his books. And here he was having to confront his own impatience and restlessness. His precious writing hours were being devoured by the onerous caregiving duties that required him to totally focus on the needs of someone else. But over time, serving at daybreak began to work a quiet spiritual transformation in him. Most of the people that Henry was living with now could not read, much less admire his books. To them, he was just Henry. And by living there and serving there, he felt himself begin to open up in a way that he had never experienced before. And he underwent an amazing spiritual transformation. As Methodists, we would call this the process of sanctification, of God making us more holy. You see, he had already walked with Jesus. He already knew he was loved and he loved others in the name of Jesus, but God had more work to do in Henry. And so he went to L'Arche. He went to daybreak. And it was there that he learned what God wanted him to learn by serving Adam. Years later, when Henry was invited back to Harvard as a special guest speaker, he chose to tell about what he learned from Adam. These are Henry's words. When asked to return to Harvard to speak about peace today, I realized that speaking about peace from this tiny family is not like speaking about peace from a professor. 
I needed a new language. This is quite painful and I feel so vulnerable, but I will tell you the story of Adam, one of the 10 people in our home, and I will let him become the silent witness for peace that is not of this world. Adam is the weakest person in our family. He is a 25-year-old man who cannot speak, cannot dress, cannot undress himself, cannot walk, cannot eat without much help. He only occasionally makes eye contact. His back is distorted. His legs and arms are twisted. He suffers from severe epilepsy. And despite heavy medication, he sees very few days without a grand mal seizure. Sometimes he grows very rigid, hollering in pain. Other times I have seen one big tear roll down his cheek. Each morning, it takes me an hour and a half to wake Adam up, give him his medication, carry him into his bath, wash him, shave him, clean his teeth, dress him, walk him to the kitchen, give him his breakfast, put him in his wheelchair, and bring him to the place where he spends most of the day with therapeutic exercises. I tell you this not to give you a nursing report, but to share with you something quite intimate. After a month of working this way with Adam, something happened to me. This deeply handicapped man, who is considered by many outsiders a vegetable, a distortion of humanity, a useless animal-like creature who shouldn't have been born, started to become my dearest companion. As my fears gradually lessened, a love emerged in me so full of tender affection that most of my other tasks seem boring and superficial compared to the hours spent with Adam. Out of his broken body and broken mind emerged a most beautiful human being offering me a greater gift than I would ever offer him. Somehow Adam revealed to me who he is and who I am and how we can love each other. When I carried him into his bath, made big waves to let the water run fast around his chest, rubbed noses with him and told him all sorts of stories about him and me, I knew that two friends were communicating far beyond the realm of thought or emotion. Deep speaks to deep. Spirit speaks to spirit. Heart speaks to heart. I started to realize that ours was a mutual love based not on shared knowledge not on shared feelings, but on shared humanity. The longer I stayed with Adam, the more clearly I saw him as my gentle teacher, teaching me what no book, school, or professor could ever teach me. The gift hidden in Adam's utter weakness is a gift not of this world, but certainly for this world. For this gift to become known, someone has to lift it up and pass it on. And that may be the deepest meaning of being an assistant to handicapped people, helping them share their gifts. Nowen shared about the profound spiritual learning that he experienced in his care for Adam. In their shared humanity, in discovering that each of them are God's beloved in that discovery, Henry became the beloved. This is the same opportunity that each and every one of us have in our own lives. 
It may not be to answer the call to serve those who are physically or mentally handicapped, but we each have an opportunity in our lives to encounter the humanity of others, to learn from them that they are beloved and we are beloved to know that each and every one of us is dearly loved by God and that we are all called to be God's people. Each and every one of us is on a same journey of sanctification. It takes different routes. It may look very different on the outside, but on the inside, it is all the same journey to know that we are all dearly beloved by God that we are called to be God's people and to share that good news with others. This lifelong process of sanctification of God working in us is a process that takes all of who we are. And thankfully God is always faithful to complete the work begun in us. All we do is say yes to say yes to God working in our hearts and our minds and to embrace our belovedness and move on that journey of becoming the beloved. Thanks be to God for the gift of this invitation and for God working in us so faithfully. Amen.